instead of saying, well, I can't do this because, you know, I can't do this because I live in a small town. I can't do this because I live in Wyoming. I can't do this because, because, because. And I think what you have to do is say, well, yeah, that's a challenge, but I can't do this. I just have to figure out how. I'm Lindsay Linton Buck, and you're listening to the Women in Wyoming podcast series, where I talk with inspiring and influential women around the state and learn about their lives, journeys, and how they got to where they are today. This is Chapter 2, Filling the Void. This chapter features women around the state who address a need or opportunity within themselves, their communities, or out in the world. The void is also symbolic of Wyoming's vast open landscape, so you'll hear from women in this chapter who come from some of Wyoming's more rural areas as well. This time, Reverend Bernadine Kraft in Rock Springs, Wyoming. Bernadine is passionate about being a voice for the voiceless in her multiple roles as counselor, nonprofit director, educator, and community steward in Rock Springs. She served in both Wyoming's House and Senate and recently fulfilled her childhood dream of becoming a priest. Bernadine and I talk about being open to change and saying yes to life's possibilities. Here's Bernadine. I kid about this cowboy poem that I read years and years ago, and I remember one of the lines from it said, when sagebrush gets in your blood, you can never really leave. And I think it it must be true. (laughs) It must call us back. Right. And Rock Springs isn't your town in Wyoming that has giant mountains and pine trees. It's desert. It's desert. And I think maybe the desert is an acquired taste. Maybe you have to learn to love it. But I love the desert. I love the beauty of the colors. I love the quietness. I love the vastness. I love the sky. I love the big, big sky, and there's all kinds of beauty, and the desert has its own very unique, very special beauty. And I have to confess that when I was growing up, I didn't see that beauty. I didn't recognize it. I thought it was dirty and dusty, and I couldn't wait to get out. But now the desert, the desert speaks to me. It brings me a great deal of peace. When you were growing up, here in Rock Springs and thinking about what you wanted to be and who you wanted to become and what you wanted to study in college, what attracted you to more of the counseling psychology track? And it was one of those just kind of kismet sort of things. I was a senior in college. I was getting ready to graduate. We were doing a play. And the director, who was one of my theater professors, said, well, so what's your plan, Bernadine? What are you going to do when you graduate? And I said, you know, I don't even really know. I mean, I know I want to go to grad school, but I don't know what I want to do. And he said, I think you should go into psychology. I think you'd be one hell of a therapist. And just that one chance comment caused me to take a couple of psychology classes as an undergraduate, fell in love with it, and decided this is what I want to do. But it was an observation from really pretty much a stranger that caused me to, th- to think about that career path. You went away for college, you went away to get your degrees, but you've come back and you've established most of your life and professional career here. So did you always think you'd come home? I was sure I would never come home. When I graduated from high school, myself and really most of the members of the graduating class swore we would never ever return to Rock Springs, possibly for Christmas, but that was going to be about it. And I was the first time I was gone for eight years. I did both my bachelor's and my master's degrees and then I stayed and worked. I was in Salt Lake City 
where I worked as a high school counselor for two years. Came back when a brand new junior high was built, and uh, I was recruited back to be the counselor there. And it was it was a wonderful job. My salary actually doubled from what I was making in Utah. Great benefits, uh, the opportunity to design my own counseling program. And I remember driving up to the interview in Rock Springs, and I knew it was going to be a good job. And I cried the whole way up here because I said to myself, this is going to be a really good job, and I'm going to get it. And I'm going to be back in Rock Springs, Wyoming. And were those tears of joy or tears no, of, were, oh, I'm coming those home? Were tears of, I can't believe I'm moving back to Rock Springs. But Rock Springs was very different. Um, it had grown significantly from when I left. I loved it. I loved every minute. A number of years went by, and I met my husband, Larry, who was living in Denver at the time. So I did my PhD in Colorado and intended to stay in Denver or in the Colorado area somewhere and be a work in universities, work in higher education. That was the plan. I, I became very, very ill. And in order to kind of deal with my, my health issues, we came back to Rock Springs, both of us, again, with the idea that it would probably only be for a year or two. But... We both fell. I fell back in love with Rock Springs. Larry, who had never lived anywhere but cities, loved Rock Springs. So more and more, we got very embedded and very rooted in Rock Springs. I reignited my involvement with the church, reignited my involvement with the Kiwanis Club and the Community Concert Association, and basically pretty much every organization that was around. <laughs> and so those were exciting years and maintained our involvement with the Counseling Association, traveled a great deal. Those were very stimulating, very uh, energizing times. You served in both Wyoming's House of Representatives and the Senate for 10 years total. You represented the House from 2007 to 2013 and the Senate from 2013 to 2017. So was this a childhood dream of yours to serve in Wyoming's government? What made you want to say, I'm going to run? Talk about so off the grid. Talk about off the grid and talk about you have to be open to change and you have to be open to new possibilities and you have to be open to your life taking a direction you didn't think it would take, which has happened to me throughout my life. You know, first, I never thought I would be a, a psychologist, a therapist. Then I never thought I'd be back in Rock Springs, Wyoming. And the, one of the things that I never, ever for even a moment entertained was serving in the legislature ever. I had been a lobbyist. I had lobbied for the Counseling Association. I was very aware of the process. Uh, I was very involved in, in governmental affairs. I used to chair the Government Affairs Committee for the American Counseling Association. But I can remember even saying, but I would never run for elected office because I'm, I'm very sensitive. I'm easily hurt. And, and I thought the things they say about you and the things they say to you, and, and it, I really personalized it. So it was not only never a part of my agenda, it was something I just thought I would never, ever want to do. And it was one of those, again, one of those fluke kinds of things that Larry had died. I had lost Larry to cancer and needed to do something a little different, needed to do something where every time I turned around, I didn't see Larry because we were we were very very entwined with each other we were not only married we worked together we did projects together so everything I did was kind of I would almost almost look over my shoulder wondering where he was and so everything had to shift 
I was actually going to go to seminary. I was going to pursue what had been a childhood dream of becoming a priest. And a friend of mine, Ray Lynn Job, who held the Senate seat before I did, approached me and said, Bernie, there's an open house seat. And a lot of us have been talking, and we think you would be perfect to run for that seat. And we really want to encourage you to run. And that, to me, was as off the grid as if she had said, Bernie, we want to encourage you to run naked through the streets. I, I, it was, I had just never, ever considered anything like that. And throughout that campaign, I questioned, but I got down there and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I was there in what I kind of think were the glory days when, when the place was full of statesmen. And political party didn't matter much. What mattered was working for the good of Wyoming. I still think our legislature has the, has the best interests of Wyoming at heart. Their, their ideas about what that is differ vastly, of course, but I still think they go down there with the, with the right purpose. But it's gotten so very personal, and it's gotten, it's gotten so polarized, and it was not that way back then. To me, it was like one big debate tournament every single day where you would, where you would go in and do battle, and then you'd, you'd all go out to dinner, or you'd all go to the reception. It was, th- those were wonderful years, and I was there, well, for 10 years. And so kind of everything I've done since then, I've sort of felt like I could almost feel Larry kind of pushing me on. And you were the only woman when you served in Wyoming Senate. So what was that like? I called them my 29 brothers. And that's the way I felt about them. And there were several of them that I disagreed with heartily, that we would we would debate like a couple of junkyard dogs. But they were still supportive. And they treated me really, you know, people said, well, didn't they treat you differently? And didn't they, didn't they kind of pander to you? And didn't they? They did not. The only thing that I was really maybe more aware of being the only woman was I, I felt like I could never have a down day. I felt like I always had to be up. I always had to be prepared. I always had to be ready to go because I didn't want anybody to say, oh, look at the look at the little lady over there, you know, checking her email or, you know, dozing off or whatever else. I didn't feel like I had that luxury to ever let down. But I imposed that on myself, and I've imposed things like that on myself my whole life. But those guys were incredibly supportive. And so good to work with. And those were wonderful years. And I was there, well, for 10 years. And I loved every minute of it, every minute. But it then became time to pursue my other dream, which had been my childhood dream. And that was the ministry. You fulfilled that while you were serving in the Senate. Why then? Why at that point? And also, how did your identity as a priest affect or conflict with your identity as a senator and a, a stateswoman. When I was a little girl, I always I always wanted to be a priest. And it was kind of one of those things like, you know, little kids want to be rock stars or firefighters or whatever it is they want to be. I wanted to be a priest. But the big, big problem with that was the Episcopal Church did not ordain women. 
So there was this big glaring issue with me being a priest. I couldn't. When I was growing up in the church, I couldn't even be an acolyte or, or an altar person. All I could do was sing in the junior choir and be on the junior altar guild. Those were the only things that little girls could do. So it was something that I, that I dreamed of, but I could never really do. So by the time women ordination was approved and women could be ordained, there was no way I could. That was right when I was living in Denver. I was pursuing my PhD. I was in the middle of life. And it was really after he was gone. And he, Larry, when he was, when he was alive, was still pu- was pushing me towards that. He knew how important it was to me. And he kept, one of the last things he said to me was, you just got to do this priest thing. <laughs> and It wasn't until I was in the Senate that an opportunity became available where we could do what was called the journey program, and we could do most of our work online and then go go down to Denver in the summers. So that required a tremendous time commitment. The workload was intense, and I was in the Senate. And I was also working full-time. I was still the BOCES director through all of this. I still had my practice. I was still teaching. But again, I loved it. I loved every moment of it. And I was ordained right in the middle of that Senate term. I never felt like being a person of faith conflicted with my work as a senator, because I never, ever ever stood up and and preached. It was just, I was trying to do what I thought was the best thing for Sweetwater County and the best thing for the state of Wyoming. And the fact that I was a priest enhanced that. What is your overall philosophy as a counselor serving in the Senate as now this priestess? (laughs) You know, what, what is the core of all of those things and what you believe? And the core of all of that, and what I believe, and what it's just integral to my to my person, is is trying desperately to defend the rights of everyone. And I always said that what I tried to do, and I tried to do it desperately for 10 years, sometimes with greater levels of success than others, but I remained true to, to trying to do that. I tried to be the voice for the people that have no voice. Because a lot of groups in Wyoming are are well-funded, which means they are heard. The people and the legislation that I tended to sponsor were domestic violence issues, sexual assault issues, animal abuse issues, uh, family services, children, developmentally disabled. So I was more about those people that aren't always heard and more about the people that can't afford the big lobbyist and can't, can't come down and speak. Somebody has to speak for them. And I, I was very clear that I was going to be that voice. And that voice needs to be heard. That voice needs to be heard. And, and it frequently, not always, but it frequently is a female voice, which is a, a big reason why, why I'm, I've always tried very hard to mentor women to, uh, to pursue legislative careers. And, and that is not to say that men are, cannot be every bit as sensitive. In fact, one of the things that, that Senator Hastert, John Hastert, and I were proudest of is when I was on the House side and he was on the Senate side, we co-sponsored any number of bills dealing with domestic violence, dealing with sexual assault, dealing with victim rights, and we never lost one. 
ever. And and that was that was kind of our little claim to fame that we never lost a bill that we co-sponsored. And they were all human services related bills. So I don't ever want to say that, that men don't have that that same sensitivity, but but that voice has to be heard. And for me, my particular faith belief is very open and very inclusive. Our baptismal covenant says we pledge to respect the worth and dignity of every human being. Every human being underlined, period, end of the story. Boom, drop the mic. Yep. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Now you're in this next chapter, really, of where you're at now. What does it feel like to be actually doing this dream you had when you were a kid to be a priest that you didn't think you could do? Now you're actually doing it. What does that feel like? There will be times when I'll put on all the robes and I feel like a little kid playing dress up. I'm like, really? It's okay for me to wear all this stuff? It's almost like this little pinch, like I'm going to wake up and find out I was dreaming. That's a wonderful feeling. And it's also a, a feeling of huge responsibility. And it's exciting to think about the different things that, that I can do with this stage of my life. Just one that kind of popped in my head real quickly because it's through the church, through the diocese. But I've become very involved in suicide prevention and awareness activities. And that has been the diocese. Our bishop has recognized that as a huge issue because, of course, Wyoming is consistently in the in the top five for completed suicides in the United States. So it's a huge issue. And last year, when the legislature cut all the funding for suicide prevention activities, which was only $2 million, that's a drop in the bucket for a state budget. But it was all cut. And so we, as, a, as a, the Episcopal Diocese, stepped forward with $100,000 dollars to um, to at least provide local programming opportunities. A task force has been created that I chair. So I've I've become very, very involved in that and very involved with finding creative ways to to provide prevention and education opportunities throughout the state. And that's something that just kind of presented itself. So I think it's really important to, like I say, always be open to trying something new. And when somebody suggests something, don't just automatically say, oh, I'm too busy, or oh, I don't have time, or oh, I can't possibly imagine doing anything like that. Give it a try. Give it a shot. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the future and to, to moving on with, with this new stage. Well, and I should mention, too, this isn't the only piece of this chapter. You're still the executive director of BOCES. You, you have your hands in multiple community organizations, so you certainly haven't slowed down by any means. I have not slowed down at all. I still work full-time for BOCES, which is a wonderful job, because that allows you to empower people to kind of live their dreams as well. What is BOCES? BOCES stands for Board of Cooperative Educational Services. It has to be at least one school district and a college or another school district can form a BOCES. They then can levy up to an additional half mil in addition to the 12 mills that are already levied for schools from property taxes. But that money doesn't go to them. It comes to a BOCES, and the BOCES then is charged with leveraging that money. Both school districts levy the full half mill. The college levies three-tenths of a mill. And, and the college money all goes for what we call Sweetwater Scholarships, which means if you graduate from any of the high schools in Sweetwater County, and you choose to go to Western, you access your other financial aid supports, 
first, and then what's left is paid for by the Sweetwater Scholarship. So basically, you get two years of, of education for free. And that's that's BOCES program. But we have so many others. Uh, it, we, all of the uh, dual and concurrent enrollment programs are paid for by BOCES. The ELL, English Language Learning, is paid for. Uh, a lot of cultural events are, are sponsored by BOCES. So so we're, we're kind of the enrichment arm of, of not only education, but the community. And that's a dream job, too, because people come with these great ideas, but no way to pay for them. And we're able to, we're able to step up and and help with that. And that's exciting. So I have loved that. I see, I never see any, anything down the road, but of course we never see anything down the road, but I I have no intention of retiring. And it's, and it's funny because people will say, so Bernie, how many more years are you going to work? Or when you, and I, I'm like, what am, am I looking old? You think, what's up here? Uh, I have no intention of retiring because I love that job. And, and it's so creative and so fun. Any more than I intend to, I, I mean, I've just, I, I was only ordained as a priest in 2014. I'm just getting going there. So uh, I still have a lot of exciting things that I hope to be able to do. If you can summarize your journey and some of those key things that helped you find all your successes in life, what do you think those have been? You have to listen, and you have to be open to change, and you have to understand that the course you plotted might not be the one you end up taking, and you have to watch when those doors open, because they do open, but sometimes we miss them because we're busy rushing past to whatever we think is important. So I think that sensitivity and awareness of the possibilities that are out there is critical. I also think it's very critical to, well, I call it the bloom where you are planted kind of philosophy, where instead of saying, well, I can't do this because, you know, I can't do this because I live in a small town. I can't do this because I live in Wyoming. I can't do this because, because, because. And I think what you have to do is say, well, yeah, that's a challenge, but I can't do this. I just have to figure out how. I have to identify what that obstacle is, whatever it might be, and then I have to figure out a way to get around it. And sometimes that's very creative. Sometimes that's that's kind of innovative. Sometimes you don't succeed. But I think it's very important to, instead of, instead of saying, well, I can't do this because... You say, I can do this, and it, it, may take, it may take a little more work, it may take a little more effort, but I can do it. We have tremendous control in how we handle it and how we deal with it. That was Bernadine Kraft in Rock Springs, Wyoming. To see Bernadine's full profile and portraits, visit the project website at womeninwyoming.com. That's womeninwyoming.com. You can also follow the project and my journey on Instagram at Women in Wyo. That's Women in W-Y-O, as well as on Facebook at Women in Wyoming. This chapter is supported in part by the Wyoming Community Foundation, the Bobby Modell Charitable Fund, and the Equipoise Fund. Momentum is our nonprofit fiscal partner. I'm Lindsay Linton-Buck, and you've been listening to Women in Wyoming. Women in Wyoming.